everyone welcome to the 33rd episode of our news podcast this is going from january 9th to saturday january 22nd this podcast is sponsored by mission essential gear your one-stop combat shop home of the tools the tactical handbook for unit leaders available at megearco.com and amazon as well also check out the freelancers a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters Find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at freelancersconflictblog.wordpress.com. Lastly, please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash analyze and educate for just a couple bucks a month. That will really help um, us bring more people on to give us more content and uh, free free up some of our time to continue to create more content. It'll really just help us um, sustain this and grow even more than uh, we already have in the past couple of years. So uh, anyway, if you would please consider supporting us on Patreon, we would really appreciate it. If not, it's perfectly fine. And with that being said, we will get on with the podcast. All right, we're going to start off with uh, Ukraine. That's probably at the forefront of most everybody's minds, at least when it comes to international news. So tensions between Ukraine and Russia are continuing to ratchet up in the face of Russia's military buildup along Ukraine's borders. Russia has now begun deploying troops into neighboring Belarus, a key ally to Moscow. If Russian troops were deployed to the southernmost portion of Belarus, they would be a mere 80 kilometers from Ukraine's capital, Kiev which is well within range of using electronic warfare measures on a city with millions of people. A telegram channel that is run by rail workers in Belarus claims, excuse me, that 33 trains carrying military equipment have crossed from Russia into the country in the past seven days alone. These trains average roughly 50 cars each. The channel also claims that another 170 trains are still scheduled to arrive in Belarus. For comparison, an average of 29 military trains crossed the border over the course of a month for Zapad, which is one of Russia's largest military exercises with Belarus. It should be noted that none of these specific numbers are confirmed accurate, but if the 200 train figure is correct, that would equate 10 times the amount of equipment sent for Zapad exercises. Many believe this could be an invasion force much like the force that is seen on the Ukrainian border, which is roughly 127,000 troops at this point. Amid the tensions, Russia has slowly begun to withdraw diplomats from Ukraine, and the U.S. has ordered the families of embassy employees to evacuate Ukraine as well, and I believe those evacuations actually started uh, happening yesterday, which is Monday, 24th. Separately, six amphibious landing ships from the Russian Navy's Baltic and Northern fleets departed their home ports en route to the Black Sea, which borders Ukraine and Crimea. I'll let you guys make of that whatever you wish. Units from all five of Russia's military districts have begun, I'm sorry, have been redeployed to border areas around Ukraine. That includes troops from the Eastern Military District, which were transfer, transferred excuse me, from as far away as the Russia North Korea border to Belarus. One suspected unit is the 16th Radiation, Biological, and Chemical Defense Brigade. In addition to troops from the Eastern District, a squadron of 12 Su-35 fighter jets and three air defense battalions have also been deployed to Belarus. 
On January 17th, Germany reiterated that it will not provide Ukraine with weapons of any kind to defend itself against a potential Russian invasion. Germany will, however, send a field hospital to care for Ukrainian soldiers wounded in action. The statement was made by German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock. Unlike its coalition partner, the Social Democratic Party, Baerbock's Green Party strongly opposes the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which would bypass pipelines that ferry Russian gas to Europe by passing through Ukraine. Utilizing Nord Stream 2 would remove Russia's reliance on exporting its natural gas through its western neighbor. So, of course, Nord Stream 2 plays a lot into this entire dynamic as well in one of Germany's prominent parties. Like I said, the Social Democratic Party is a big proponent of Nord Stream 2, so we'll see what happens with that. On the 18th, the United Kingdom began deploying shoulder-fired anti-tank missiles in the form of the Next Generation Light Anti-Tank Weapon, otherwise known as the NLAW, to Ukraine. Along with the NLAW, the UK Ministry of Defense is deploying a limited amount of personnel to train Ukrainian forces on the missile launcher's use. Also last week, Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia all announced that they would provide military aid to Ukraine in the form of U.S.-made Javelin anti-tank and Stinger anti-air missiles. Latvia said in addition to Stingers, it would also send meals ready to eat, otherwise known as MREs, and quote, personal equipment to Ukraine. Estonia attempted to send Soviet-made D-30 artillery howitzers, but that move was actually blocked by Germany, where the artillery pieces originated from back in the times of East Germany during the Cold War. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki announced on January 17th that the Biden administration intends to send Soviet-made Mi-17 helicopters to the Ukrainian army. Um, To my knowledge, those Mi-17 helicopters were actually bound for Afghanistan before the collapse of the government. On January 21st, at a conference in New Delhi, Inspector of the German Navy, Vice Admiral K. Akim Schoenbach made several alarming remarks in regards to the Ukrainian situation, which drew heavy criticism. And just a side note, the inspector of the German Navy is effectively the head of the German Navy, right? Sort of their top admiral, if you will. He stated that the belief that Russia will soon invade Ukraine is, quote, nonsense. He also said in regards to the situation that Russian President Vladimir Putin, quote, wants and probably deserves respect, end quote, and that Ukraine would never regain Crimea, which was forcibly annexed by Russia in 2014, as you all probably know. These comments led Ukraine to summon Germany's ambassador to the country and led the German government to announce that these were not the opinions held by Germany officially. In response to his remarks and the backlash, Admiral Schoenbach resigned from his position as head of the German Navy. And lastly, on January 22nd, the UK Foreign Office, which is their equivalent of the State Department, I believe, said it has information that Russia seeks to capture Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, and install a pro-Russian leader in the place of current President Volodymyr Zelensky. According to the office, the prime candidate for consideration is former Ukrainian Member of Parliament Yevgeny Moryev. Moriev is known for his pro-Russian, I'm sorry, he is a well-known pro-Russian media owner who supports the Russian annexation of Crimea and obviously opposes the war between Russian-backed separatists and Ukraine. 
The office also believes that Russia maintains links with several former politicians, being the first deputy prime minister and acting former acting prime minister, Sergei Arbuz, first deputy prime minister and chief of staff to the president, Andrei Kuliev, and prime minister, Mikola Azarov. And again, like I said before, these are all former politicians. So these are their former positions. Important to note. And that's all we got for Ukraine. We'll take a quick break and we will be back with Eastern Asia and the Pacific. All right, and we're back with East Asia. Quick note on China around this time two years ago, obviously COVID-19, then commonly referred to as the Wuhan coronavirus, was ravaging the Chinese city of Wuhan. On January 22nd, 2020, two years ago, the entire city of Wuhan, which has 11 million people in it, was placed under a lockdown. However, the eight hours of advance notice allowed many thousands to leave the city and further spread the virus around the rest of China and the world. And notably, that was around the time of the Lunar New Year and millions of people were traveling into China and millions of Chinese people were traveling outside of the country and that also contributed to a spread in the virus. And here we are two years later. In Taiwan, on January 11th, a Republic of China Air Force F-16V crashed off the country's southwestern coast. 27-year-old Captain Chen Yi's remains were found less than a week later. Yi and another F-16V were conducting a training mission when his fighter crashed into the sea. The cr- I'm sorry, the cause of the crash is currently under investigation. It is believed that Captain Yi chose not to eject from his aircraft, instead steering the fighter away from any inhabited areas to minimize collateral damage. And a quick note, Taiwan is officially known as the Republic of China. China, as we think of it today here in the U.S., is the People's Republic of China. It's worth noting that those are effectively two separate countries. Uh, Certain countries around the world will recognize one of the two um, as the official China, right? There's some countries in the Pacific still that recognize Taiwan officially as the one China, the Republic of China. Here in the U.S., we see I'm sorry, we recognize the People's Republic of China as China officially. However, we do still have unofficial relations with Taiwan. It's a very interesting scenario, but figured I would note that real quick unless there's uh, any confusion. Moving on to Tonga on January 14th, a massive underwater volcano erupted near the island nation, causing severe flooding in Tonga and leading people to seek higher ground. A sonic boom from the eruption was heard as far away as Alaska, which is over 5,000 miles away, and the explosion was said by NASA to be the equivalent of 10 nuclear megatons. And for comparison, the nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima was 0.015 megatons, so that is a massive explosion. This would make the eruption one of the loudest events on the planet in the past 100 years. British scientists determined that the plume of ash from the eruption reached halfway to space, a whole 35 miles into the sky. Communications on the islands have been scarce due to the eruption destroying an undersea cable that enabled much of the area's communications and internet. 
The company overseeing the repairs, Subcom, said that the effort can take up to four weeks to repair that cable. In the meantime, another telecommunications company will establish two services for text messaging and phone calls. Australia and New Zealand are sending their naval assets to Tonga to provide humanitarian assistance. The HNZS Wellington and Etoroya, sure I butchered that, deployed with water, food, and hydrographic equipment. The HMAS Adelaide deployed as well from Brisbane, Australia. The HMNZS Canterbury is expected to deploy soon to Tonga as well. Moving on to South Asia and the Middle East and India, on January 18th, three Indian sailors aboard the INS Ranveer were killed in an explosion in one of the ship's compartments. The sailors were identified as Master Chief Petty Officer First Class Krishim Kumar, MCPO Second Class Surindu Kumar, and MCPO Second Class A.K. Singh. The cause of the explosion is currently under investigation. The Ranveer is a Ranveer class destroyer outfitted for anti-aircraft and anti-submarine warfare. The ship is currently on deployment at this moment. And we will finish it off here with the United Arab Emirates. On January 17th, Houthi rebels from Yemen launched drone and missile strikes on the UAE's capital and financial powerhouse Abu Dhabi. The attacks hit the city's international airport and a oil storage plant 20 kilometers outside of the city. Three workers were killed in the latter attack, two Indian nationals and one Pakistani. These attacks prompted the UAE's director of national intelligence, Ali al-Shamsi, to visit Washington, D.C. to meet with White House officials. During the visit, Shamsi pleaded the Biden administration to redesignate the Houthi movement as a terrorist organization, a designation the administration moved last year shortly after taking office. And that is all I got for you guys for these past couple of weeks. I want to thank everyone for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to us. You could find this podcast on your favorite apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate, all one word. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash analyze educate. And that is all I have for you guys. We will see you next week.